And will you take your Bibles out? Let's turn to Revelation 17. As we go through the book of Revelation, there are a lot of parts of it that make us wonder, that make us scratch our heads, and certainly the passage before us makes us do that. That's why last week I tried to make things a little simpler by giving us an overview of the close of this book. In summary, the end of the book of Revelation has two cities, Babylon and the New Jerusalem. One will be judged, one will be joined to Christ. And this presentation of these two cities at the end is meant to help the churches in the seven cities of Asia Minor. Remember, this is an epistle. This is a letter to seven churches to meet the needs of those churches, just as we have in the other epistles. We have an application section, chapters 2 and 3. We have a doctrine section. The unique part about this doctrine section is that it's prophecy, chapters 4 and following. So what we find here is that we, the church, need to understand and see the comparison between Babylon in Jerusalem, if we're going to be able to rightly live in our own cities, given that so much of Babylon is ingrained where we live. My dear brothers and sisters in the the Lord, today I want to consider chapter 17, the judgment of the harlot Babylon. The judgment of the harlot Babylon. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, as we come before you this morning. We ask that you'll give us assistance as we go through a passage like this. Indeed, there are portions of your word that if we had the right to pick and choose what we would say from your word and what we wouldn't say, there are some passages we might leave out. And this passage has such things that we might not want to cover it. But we have instruction and help from every area of your word, so we believe that we will find instruction here. So, Lord, we pray that you would grant our heart's desire, that we would see Christ lifted up, that we would understand you and ourselves better as we take a look today at Revelation 17. We ask that you'll help us for Christ's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus was crucified, it was between two criminals and before a host of critics. You recall that the critics cried, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. You'll also remember that one of the criminals joined in and jabbed, save yourself and us. And you remember what the other criminal said. He said, we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. You know, those words reflect the image of God and man that embraces and understands justice. Every man understands that criminals deserve judgment, not the innocent. So as we look at Revelation 17 and 18, we have a judgment scene. And the first thing we learn is not 
who judged, nor the punishment for the one who is judged, but who is judged and the basis for that judgment. So look with me at Revelation 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. If you need to understand what we find in Revelation 17 and 18, this is it. This is the judgment of the harlot Babylon. In chapter 18, it refers to the same thing three times. And this is something that you and I need to see. Even as John was encouraged to come and see this, so we must give our attention to this scene. In contrast to the bride, the new Jerusalem, who is going to be joined to Christ, we have this harlot, the great city of Babylon, who is going to be judged by Christ. Now, as you look at Revelation 17, you see that Jesus is named only twice, in verses 6 and verse 14. Yet, it doesn't talk about Jesus judging Babylon. But I need you all to realize that whenever you hear about judgment, you always need to think of Jesus Christ. Always. Theologically, that's true because of what Jesus said himself. John 5.22, the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. It is the Son who is the judge. And according to this book, the book of the Revelation, it shows us that Jesus is the one who is the judge. He is the key character of the book that is bringing God's wrath upon a rebellious world so that the kingdom of God will come to earth. That's what this book is about. So when you hear the words that Christ is judging, that ought to settle in our hearts. In these chapters, Christ will judge the harlot Babylon. And in chapter 17, the first part of this chapter, we're going to learn why he will judge Babylon. And then in the second part, we'll learn how he will judge Babylon. You know, even as we read the passage this morning in our scripture reading, the first six verses, we felt dirty just by reading the description of Babylon. And then as the second part of this passage, we feel amazement about how Babylon is judged. Today we're just going to consider the first portion of the chapter that breaks in the middle of verse 6. So six verses we'll consider today, and in these six verses we'll learn this singular point, that Christ is just to judge the harlot Babylon. Babylon's guilty. As we go through this text, That's what you need to see. Babylon is guilty. She deserves what is coming to her. And we know that by how she's described and how she acts. So this morning, we're going to consider two points. We're going to consider her immoral influence in the first two verses, and then her appalling activities in verses 3 through 6. Her immoral influence and her appalling activities. Verse 1 and 2, she's going to be judged for her immoral influence. I want you to listen carefully to what the angel told the Apostle John. Verse 1, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, that tells us which angel this was, it connects it to the last plagues, he came and said to me, said to John, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot 
who seated, seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. It's repeated so much for us, and in these chapters, 13 times in between 14, 17, 18, and 19, this woman Babylon is immoral. Babylon is immoral. And I want you to know this is how God sees her. This is a divine perspective of her in contrast to what people see her to be. People don't think of her this way, but this is how God thinks of her. And we need to realize that we need to have God's perspective. Certainly throughout the winter and perhaps on a morning like today, we have got into the car and wanted to go somewhere and then realized that the windows are iced up. And then you have to jump out of the car. You have to get your scraper, your brush, and scrape the windshield and clear off the snow. And then you get back into your car and you get on the way. Well, why? Because if you're going to drive a car, you have to be able to see clearly. Well, God sees things clearly all the time. He never has to clear his windshield. We, on the other hand, on the other hand have to admit there are times we don't see clearly. When we look at things, sometimes it's as if we are looking through an iced-over windshield. And when we try that, when we try to drive in that kind of state, it doesn't work out so well. So what we need to do is be diligent to see things the way that God does as he is revealed in his word. And he has said plainly in this passage that this woman is immoral, but also she is enticing, as we see in verse 2. With whom? With her, the kings of the earth, and with her, the dwellers on the earth. That is to say, she entices the kings of the earth. She entices great figures, and she and intoxicates the people of the earth with her ways. So not only is she immoral, but she's influential. She has an immoral influence on great people of the earth and on believers, unbelievers at large throughout the earth. And because of this, she deserves the judgment that is coming to her. That's the first thing that we see. Secondly, we see that she will be judged for her appalling activities. She'll be judged for her appalling activities. I want you to look with John and see what he sees. Look at verse 3. And he, that's the angel, he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. Just to encourage you, don't expect that kind of thing to happen to you. That is a unique prophetic thing that happened to John. That's not anything normative for you and me. An angel will not carry us away to the wilderness. This happened so that John would see this vision. What did he see? The verse goes on to say, And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet or a red beast. Now, who is the beast? What does the margin of your Bible say? You look in the margin, at least one of the Bibles that I had, it had a cross-reference for chapter 12, verse 3. And that would then indicate that this beast is the red dragon, the one who is described as having seven heads and ten horns. And you might think, well, that fits. Red, 
The heads, the horns, that fits great. But look at what else describes this beast. It says in verse 3 these words, A scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. When we read that, we realize now that beast has been very clearly identified. Chapter 13, verse 1, verse 5, verse 6. This is the beast who is full of blasphemous names. This is the representation of the Antichrist and those who came before him. This is a representation of all those who defy God. Remember when we went over chapter 13 about this beast and the Antichrist? It talked about what he would say. Daniel the prophet said that the beast would speak words against the Most High and will speak astonishing things against the God of gods. So to say it colloquially, this beast has a mouth. Understand what I mean when I say he has a mouth? It's not good. It's terrible. And there's another character in the Bible, young people, who had a mouth. Do you remember who it was? A person who said terrible, wicked things. Sometimes it's a story that's often told to us, but we always forget this point. The person with a bad mouth was Goliath, the giant. He is the one who repeatedly defied the living God. Of course, the rest of the story goes that David heard of it, and he was going to stand up for God's honor, and so the story goes. But Goliath is one who had a, a mouth, and so it is this beast has a mouth. But not only does he have a mouth, but he has power. You see the reference to the heads, to the horns. Those represent power and authority. And that's what we saw in Revelation chapter 13. The beast has power and authority. This is not simply a blogger who's going off on a matter. This is a bureaucrat. This is someone with some power. And this woman sits on the beast. The beast carries her. It shows that she has some kind of dependence on it. Yet she seems to be in a position that shows she's in control over the beast. She's riding on it. She's perhaps holding the reins, at least for the time, for the moment. So I guess we need to figure out, what does it matter that this woman is sitting on this beast? Well, this is supposed to give us the impression of something dreadful. Just imagine, moms and dads, having a photo shoot with your kids and having a selection of animals up there that you could have your kids pose with. There's nothing wrong with posing with the dog. Nothing wrong with posing with the cat. Those are lovable, cuddly things. Now imagine sending your child to go pose with this animal. Look, This is not a nice picture. Where she sits is meant to be repulsive. What this shows us is that this woman associates with evil powers. This woman associates with evil powers. She's a woman with immoral influence, and she has associated herself, linked herself with power. That's her association. Now let's consider her appearance. Let's look at verse 4 together. This woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. Are you imagining with me? She's arrayed in purple and in scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls and holding in her hand a golden cup. Now, what's wrong with that picture? 
Is there anything wrong with wearing red or purple or wearing gold or pearls or having a cup? Is there anything wrong with that? Well, on the surface, there is nothing wrong. There's nothing sinful with those things. But we know this is not an innocent picture. We know that because this woman is described as a harlot. And we all know how harlots dress. Proverbs tells us of the strange woman who aims at alluring other people to her by the way she dresses, by the way she speaks. So there's a reason why there isn't a picture for the kids to color on the bulletin today. Because this is not a picture of innocence, of Christian modesty. Instead, this is a terrible picture. This woman is arrayed in such a way to allure people. But also you need to look at and notice what she's holding. Her appearance is alluring. Her accessory is abominable. Verse 4, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities. That's what you see on the screen. Is the cup in her hand. So when we look at her appearance and what she holds, we learn what her intentions are. She invites people to do what God hates. Invites them to drink of the cup of what is abominable and what is unclean. Now, I just talked about the fact that God hates certain things. And I don't want you to be surprised to hear that God hates things. He does. And God is perfectly right to hate things. And kids, let me illustrate this for a moment with a story that you know well. Remember back to the story of Sleeping Beauty? You can raise your hand at this point. Do you remember the story of Sleeping Beauty? All right. You remember how the dear child, Aurora, was born to the king and queen? And how there were three good fairies who blessed the child and one who didn't? You remember how Maleficent cursed the child so that if the child were to touch the tip of a spinning wheel by her 16th birthday, she would fall into a deep sleep? You remember that? Do you remember what her father then did? What did the king do? Well, because he loved his newborn daughter so much, he had all the spinning wheels burned. Why did he do that? Well, he didn't want his dear daughter to be harmed. Even so, God hates sin because it stains those who reflect his image, who are supposed to reflect his image. There are things that God hates. And that is incredibly right for him to do. What does God hate? Well, all sins in general, but Proverbs gives us a list. Let's go over Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Lord hates those things. And 
It's even true that God expects us, his people, to hate what he hates. Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord, that's what we all need, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. If you take God seriously, you will hate what God hates. You will hate evil. Psalm 119.128, the psalmist says, Therefore, I consider all your precepts, God, all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. You see, when you regard what God says to be right, you will inevitably hate what is false, what is not true. Both must be there. Of course, instead of hating evil, what this woman is doing is holding forth alluring abominations. That's what she's doing. This is not an innocent picture at all. And what we learn is that she's been doing so for a very long time. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. So now we have an, an identification. It talks about her name. And it's said that shady ladies like this would have their names written on their foreheads so that their clients could identify them. So what does her name tell us about herself? Well, she is linked with the ancient city of Babylon. Last week we went over this at length, but Babylon goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel, where we have the origins of religion against God. We have a ziggurat that is built. Instead of obeying God and spreading out throughout the globe, the people say, we're staying put. We're making a name for ourselves. She is identified geographically with this city of Babylon. She is also the origin of abominations. It says that she is the mother of harlots, the mother of earth's abominations. Remember back in chapter 12, we saw another sign where we had a woman who mothered the Christ child And that woman who was the origin of the Christ child, we understood to be Israel. Because Christ came from the line of David. Not part of the church, because the church originated in Jesus Christ. This woman, as the mother here, in some sense, has to be part of the origins of these abominations. What that's trying to say is, this woman is not simply an end-time entity. This has to be a very ancient figure, one that goes all the way back to Babylon, all the way back to uh, to Babel. So she identifies as an ancient instigator. She has been behind these things for a very, very long time. It would seem at least all the way back to Babel. But she has been influencing people to immorality and abominations since. And it seems that she has been very effective in doing that. Because in the first verse, we learn that people of the earth have been drunk with her. She has a moral influence, and people are lapping it up. What about God's people? How does she relate to God's people? Let's read verse 6. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints... And the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. 
And what do I really need to say? She imbibes the blood of the saints. And that has been for years and years and years. The wicked and the false are intolerant towards the truth and those who hold towards the truth. And for centuries and for thousands of years, God's people have been persecuted and God's people have been slain. That was the case in the Old Testament. That was the case in the early church. We have Fox's Book of Martyrs, multiple volumes of this book that just relate to us all the people who have given their life for their faith in Jesus Christ. God's people have been persecuted and slain by this woman. So the question is, the subject of these chapters is the judgment of her. Does she deserve judgment? Well, given her immoral influence and her appalling activities, she's guilty. And so Jesus Christ is just to pour out God's wrath upon her. You know, for Jesus Christ, it was true when the criminal said, but this man has done nothing amiss. But when it comes to this woman, her case is a guilty case. So as we try to learn more and more about this woman, and we will learn more about her and what exactly she is as the weeks go by, as we study the rest of chapter 17 and chapter 18, what we need to know is that her being judged is the right thing, that Christ in judging her is doing so in justice. When it comes to what are we to do, we should obviously agree with that. But as chapter 18, verse 4 tells us, Christ calls the church, come out of her, my people. We need to have no part with her. And as we just saw in chapter 17, verse 6, there are those who have been faithful to God, whom she has slain. And we need to be the kind of people who are faithful to God even when it might cost us our life. That's what it said earlier in the book of Revelation. There were those who were slain for Christ's sake who loved not their lives even unto death. That just shows us how valuable Jesus Christ is and how much we ought to live for him. We shouldn't think of him wrongly as if he is unjust in any way, but instead he's gracious towards all who come to him. And ask for his mercy. Father, help us to consider these words. To realize what is coming for Babylon. And to realize that Babylon must have no part in our hearts and our lives. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to love what is good and hate what is evil. We pray that we would be faithful to you no matter what it costs. And there are times even of late, that we have wondered if it might cost us more than we're used to. Lord, give us that steadfastness in the faith that is necessary. Give us that calm that is necessary in persecution that senses the joy of being found worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. Lord, help us to know better how to navigate through our days that seem to be getting more difficult. We pray for your help, and we depend on your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.